All right, welcome to the British Virgin Islands 2022 podcast, where we will talk all things BVI, sailing, and planning. It's the podcast that we all deserve, but almost certainly do not need. But uh, what the hell. Let's do a quick recap. We have 27 people spread across three sailing vessels. La Pinta, the Santa... I'm sorry, wrong list. I meant these knots, naughty by nature, and my vessel, the flagship, the Salty Bastard. I can't think of a more prestigious list of boat names to take to the high seas with. And all right, tongue-in-cheek comments aside, let's get down to brass tacks. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss passports and transportation options to the British Virgin Islands, and you'll get to hear from four prior BVI sailors. So first up, if you don't have a passport, you better get on that ASAP. The pandemic will fade, social distancing will be trampled, and everyone and their mother is going to want to go on a trip. So you better get that passport application in ASAP. Also, if you already have a passport, you want to make sure and check that so that it's good through at least May 2022, and even then I'd recommend you just go ahead and renew it beyond that. All right, with passport reminders aside, let's talk about transportation options. There is one primary gateway to the British Virgin Islands, and that is through the U.S. Caribbean islands of San Juan, airport code SJU, or St. Thomas, airport code STT. You can fly into St. Thomas and then ferry to Roadtown, or you can connect through either of those uh, in the USVIs, and then take a puddle jumper to Beef Island, BVI, airport code EIS, which is technically an island right next to Tortola, and then from there you can cab to Roadtown. There are pros and cons of both, which leads me to our distinguished guests for our inaugural podcast. From the 2008 Monohall Sailing Adventure, we have Painkiller Paul, and from the 2016 trip, we have first mate Michelle. Both took the ferry option. So, hey, Paul and Michelle, say hello. Hello. What's up? All right. And then from the 2016 trip, we have, or sorry, 2013 trip, we have Four Peak Jack and Foot Condom Casey, both who flew into BVI on that trip. So say hello, Jack and Casey. What's up, guys? Guten Tag. Oh, yeah. All right. <clears throat> I think we want to take a little aside here so that everyone gets on the fun. So, Casey, I named you the foot condom Casey. I wondered if you would talk a little bit about uh, why you got that name on that trip back in 2013. So, uh, thank you, Dan, for bringing that up. I appreciate it. So, yeah, my foot, uh, I broke my ankle, and next thing I knew, uh, when I got my cast off, I had a sore open from where the incision was from surgery. So I had to wear a gigantic rubber thing, basically, that goes from my foot all the way around past my knee. And uh, so that uh, was the quote-unquote foot condom that Dan likes to talk about. So yes, I could not jump in the water at the time, unfortunately, but I still had a great time. I was the dinghy master, so I was your shuttle from ship to shore. And that's about it. Casey, describe the foot condom thing you had to wear. So it was blue, probably, I would say, royal blue. And it had a little, uh, how do you say, uh, pump action attachment to it. So the pump action thing was to take all the air out of it. So if, if I did go overboard, 
water, seawater would not get in there and infect my wound. So that was pretty much the extent of the foot condom. It had a, um, the hell of a shoe growing up with a little basketball in the front that you'd pump up. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyways, that's pretty much the extent of, of, uh, it was pretty ridiculous looking. That's what I remember. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Uh, and you heard, we have Jack joining us who spent a good amount of his time in one of the four peaks. So, uh, Jack, I wondered if you share a little bit of your experience in the front of the boat in the four peak. Yeah, I mean, you slept very comfortably. It was almost like being in a coffin, very like pharaoh chic, I would say. But in all honesty, it was uh, other than getting in and out um, through, I guess, what do you call it? One of the porticos or one of those one of those things. Portholes. Uh, it was actually portholes. Yes, thank you, Dan. It was uh, it was not too bad. You you think that it would be you'd feel cramped um, and maybe claustrophobic, but it really didn't feel that way. Um, and it was actually one of the probably cooler places on the boat because it had its own little fan. And, you know, the fan, while it wasn't powerful, it was only about, you know, uh, five inches from my face when I slept. So slept very comfortably. Just make sure you plan on getting up uh, before the boat starts moving. Um, that can end drastically for you, as I experienced firsthand on the last day. Jack got caught in the porthole and the door horizontally out was locked. And Jack gets seasick early, so that's what he was talking about. Didn't uh, didn't end yeah, well. It was, a, it was the only kind of a real rough seas day we had, and we were moving, and it was kind of after a very intense night of uh, of, of drinking, and I, it was so rocky I couldn't get out because it was just uh, it, you know you're about six inches from going overboard um, when you're trying to get out. So it was uh, it was not a very comfortable situation. I was flailing my arms uh, trying to get the attention of. Uh, of the captain, but uh, took took a long time. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jack. All right, so moving on. So uh, we wanted to give the folks that had not been down there before the opportunity to hear from all four of these folks about their experience with getting down there. As I mentioned, there's two kind of primary ways to get down there. So first, I'd like to give Paul an opportunity to talk about his trip. It was a long time ago, back in 2008, when we took a monohull down there in the British Virgin Islands, and he took the flight through St. Thomas and then on the ferry. So, uh, Paul, I'll turn it over to you if you want to tell us about uh, your experience and, and how that went. Uh, yeah, I mean, we uh, we did some real sailing back then on a monohull, not, not on a floating condo that is the uh, catamaran. I highly recommend flying directly into St. Thomas as opposed to trying to connect in other places. Uh, maybe get there a day early. Maybe, you know, two. You can always check out St. Thomas if you haven't been. You can go to St. John's. Pretty easy to get to. We did that. We stayed. I mean, we got there about a day. I think we got there like a day and a half or so before. Uh, that was before the age of Airbnbs and all that. So keep in mind also St. Thomas can be a little, a little sketchy in some places. Uh, maybe when it gets dark. We took the ferry to Tortola. The day we took the ferry... It was a little rough, and that was our first day on the water, really. So some people got a little nauseous. It was, it was a little rainy that day, so that was why. Took the ferry back. Dan and I took the ferry back, and it was sunny and beautiful, and we sat on top of the ferry. There was no problems, and it was actually quite pleasant. Pretty much really all there is to it. Um, I, I, I recommend flying direct anywhere you can all the time. Um, so, yeah. 
Paul, do you remember what the customs experience was when we got off the ferry in Roadtown? Well, for us, it was pretty easy. There, were, there was just us, really, and maybe a few other people. We were there in July, so there wasn't a big line. Uh, I believe it cost $5 as a fee to get in the country. Uh, you don't get that back. That's just what they do down there. They charge you to enter, uh, stamp your passport, and you go about your business. Um, it was really that simple. That's if that's what you remember. That's what I remember. Yeah, I, I remember it being pretty straightforward. Other than the ferry schedule wasn't exactly on time, um, you know, and you had the additional headache of trying to meet a ferry schedule in addition to a flight schedule. Um, but you know, overall, it wasn't wasn't too bad. Yeah, I, I think as long as, as you know, as long as the waters aren't, you know, as long as it's not bad weather, you'll be fine. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. Like I said, we also had Michelle who took the uh, ferry option back in 2016. So, Michelle, that was a little bit more recent. Look forward to hearing how uh, you view that experience uh, getting from St. Thomas to Roadtown on the ferry. So George and I, we actually, I'm not sure who made the arrangements here because we only, uh, we took a, we did not take a direct flight. We connected through Kennedy. So we went from DC to Kennedy to St. Thomas on Delta. So I, I don't even feel like we got the benefit of what the of what Paul said he was able to get, which was a direct flight and then the ferry. We actually had a connection and then the ferry. I'm assuming maybe we were trying to save money. I don't really recall. But the ferry experience itself, from my perspective, pros are you know, obviously now you could take a direct flight and, and not have to worry about a connection. Uh, it was relatively seamless as far as I can recall. It, the only downside from my perspective was, as, as Dan mentioned, the schedule. Uh, you're kind of at the mercy of that. And then secondly, the ferry itself, for those folks who may, you know, have concerns about claustrophobia or seasickness, from my perspective, was a little bit challenging because it's quite a, quite a small space, quite, quite hot and um, a lot of like gas fumes. So just kind of keeping it real in terms of what that was like. However, it was very economical. I think I remember it being like 60 bucks or something, uh, really cheap. And then, you know, one other thing, uh, because of the schedule, we actually had to stay an extra night. I know Paul mentioned he stayed some time on the front end. We actually stayed an extra night on the back end at a hotel in St. Thomas, uh, like a manor house of some sort can't find the, the name, but, um, and, and, and similar to what Paul said, I, you know, some of the area around there was, a was questionable at, at, at certain times, but overall, you know, I personally probably will go with a flight flight option this time, but certainly think if, if people are looking for something a little more economical, it's a great choice. Michelle, do you remember what the logistics were getting from the ferry station in Tortola to the Moorings base? Did you all walk or cab? How did you, how did you navigate that last mile? Uh, my gut would tell me that we did not walk just because I'm sure we had a bag. I would think we probably took a cab. Yes, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we did. When we got there, we took a cab. All right. Well, I think Paul has a follow-up comment. So, Paul, let me turn it back over to you. Uh, yeah, one thing I forgot was when it comes to connecting flights. So Dan and I had an interesting surprise, and I'm not sure if Dan just forgot to tell me or bothered not to tell me, but on our flight back to the U.S., from St. Thomas, we had a connecting flight from St. Thomas to Puerto Rico, which ended up being a little unpressurized, tiny, like, single propeller, puddle jumper type plane. 
where they had to organize you by weight. Um, that was a bit of a surprise. Um, and I've flown a bit of those since, but if you're prone, if you've never done that and you're prone to something, say like air sickness or motion sickness, that could be a problem for you, especially when you're cramped in with like six other people. Something to consider. So we flew from Puerto Rico to Miami, I believe, or something like that. And then to uh, DC, like our, our flights back were a little crappier than our, our flights there. So I would consider that. Uh, make sure you know what planes you're getting on. Because uh, in the Caribbean, you could end up on a small little propeller plane just for a quick connection. All right, that's a that's a good point, Paul. Thanks for bringing that up, which is actually a good transition over to those that flew. Because typically, you end up on one of those small planes to get from one of those two airports I mentioned, to Tortola. So let's turn it over to Jack and Casey. I don't know, Jack, if you want to go first, and then we'll... Uh, We'll go over to Casey. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Danny. So, uh, Paul, you hit kind of the nail on the head there of, of the real concern people might have with flying is that's the exact plane you take from Puerto Rico to Beef Island. You know, it's a small puddle jumper. You're sitting shotgun, might be sitting shotgun next to uh, the pilot. Um, they organize you by weight. It's a little bit of a cramped space. But I can't say it is only 20, 25 minutes. The views are phenomenal because you fly at a very low altitude, so you see everything, and you know it's short distance. You can really see the islands as you're leaving Puerto Rico. You can see kind of our final destination um, in the Virgin Islands. So, you know, from my experience, um, again, I've, I've got a lot of flight experience, um, and I don't have too many concerns flying. It wasn't wasn't an issue. Once you get over into Beef Island, as I recall, getting through customs was a breeze. It wasn't crowded. Um, not a lot of people coming in and out of the airport. It was about a $40 flat, fare, flat fee cab ride. So I would say all in all, the, um, the cost to fly is, was more expensive than flying direct into uh, St. Thomas and then taking the ferry. However, I, I do think the real big benefit to that, I will, I will add as well, it was about a 20 to 30 minute cab ride from Beef Island. Um, to the moorings. So it wasn't too long, just kind of think about factoring that in. The optionality with flying, I think, was a lot better. Um, as I think Paul and uh, Michelle alluded to with the ferry, I remember on our last day when people were going back, you know, there was it was very strict time on when people had to kind of leave. They had to leave very early to make sure they got to the ferry, and if the ferry was late, they, they were at risk of missing their connecting flight um, uh, from St. Thomas. So I think, you know, that is kind of logistically, it's a little bit... Um, you know, tougher, I would say, at least from what I had heard, um, to do the ferry. You know, from a flying standpoint, there was a lot of optionality. I mean, you fly, you end up flying on the puddle jumper from Puerto Rico. However, you know, it's a large international airport, lots of flights in and out. I mean, I remember my flight down, I flew from D.C. to Miami, which was a nice short, you know, um, flight um, on a decent sized plane. Then, you know, a quick flight from Miami to Puerto Rico and then Puerto Rico, um, you know, to Beef Island. You might say that that's a lot of different connections. However, there's a lot of flights that go from D.C. to Miami. You know, there's probably about one every hour. So if you miss a flight, it's really easy to get on another one. Um, and there were a lot of flights from Miami to Puerto Rico. On the way back, I believe I flew from Puerto Rico to Charlotte and then Charlotte to D.C. Again, a lot of different flights. So I think, you know, if you're worried about potentially missing a flight, you were able to make that up without having to stay another day. So I think, you know, while there were additional steps you had a little bit more, uh, it was a little bit of a safer <laughs> bet, I, at least from my perspective, on being able to get home that day. 
that's about it I can I can remember you know from my time in terms of in terms of the flight but Danny happy to ask any follow-up questions you might have on that yeah thanks Jack let's go over to Casey for his experience and then I've uh, you know got a couple of follow-up questions if, if we need to go there so I'd say the the best part of my my experience of uh, the trip down was uh, from the airport at Beef Island they do like because they know when you're coming they are waiting for you at the airport to shuttle you to the marina. Outside of that, everything else kind of sucked. So hear me out. <laughs> Flying to uh, Beef Island, at least for me, you know, granted this is like probably 10 years ago, so I was just trying to find the best possible route for myself, the cheapest possible way. So I connected through Miami to San Juan and then got on said puddle jumper, which Really, is it's a two-engine uh, propeller plane operated by Cape Air. I was surprised to see Cape Air operating there, uh, being that they're a uh, New England-based company, but whatever. The flight into Miami was delayed because of weather, so that's something you need to worry about as far as if you can get a direct flight to San Juan, that's the ultimate best scenario for you person who's going on this trip because you'll bypass the Miami and yeah I mean you might have some weather in San Juan but they pack enough fuel to like circle around for a little bit so you can eventually land but we had to land in Tampa refuel take back off and then land in Miami so I, I just barely made my connecting flight to San Juan and just barely made the last flight to, from Cape Air to Beef Island BVI. And it's kind of a funny story. So I, I was in the cockpit with the, the, the pilot on that descent, and I have the headphones on, and I can hear, like, he's calling out to the air traffic controller there at Beef Island, and he's not responding. So we had to abort our landing and kind of circle around. Granted, we're the last flight in for the night, so he's probably taking a nap, which he was. So we circle back around and we end up landing, disembark the flight, go in, and then we're just waiting in customs, which is kind of a hilarious customs line when you think about if you've ever traveled overseas. And nobody was there. So I just walked out the front door and, and got into the shuttle bus. And I'm sitting there with my bag and I'm so pissed off. I left at like maybe... 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, and it was 10 or 11 o'clock in the afternoon or the evening. Finally got there. I just remember the customs guy coming out and being like, hey, come back inside. I would say that the experience of flying there, if you don't mind being in a really small plane to come direct into Beef Island, is, is probably the best bet. But I think for this round, I would definitely go either direct to San Juan and get on that flight again and bypass Miami, or just go direct flight to USVI, St. Thomas, and take the ferry. So those are my two cents. All right, thanks, Case. <clears throat> so a couple things I'll reiterate from what you and Jack and Paul and Michelle mentioned. First of all, in the British Virgin Islands, you don't pay for the cab, you know, kind of by mile. It's typically negotiated at the time you pick up the cab ride. So regardless of whether you're cabbing from the ferry station or from the airport, you want to have that negotiation with the cab 
at that time. And it also doesn't necessarily matter how many people are in the cap. It's just a flat rate. So, uh, you know, obviously something to consider well down the line, but uh, you know, we'll probably remind everybody about that later. Second of all, the direct flight concept, I think, is a good one. Whether you want to fly into St. Thomas and then take the ferry or fly into San Juan and then take the connecting flight over to Beef Island, either way, if you can get down to either one of those islands on a direct flight, from wherever you're coming from, that's going to be most ideal. Especially, as Casey has made abundantly clear, if you can avoid connecting in Florida and uh, the potential delays that come up with that, you definitely want to definitely want to do that. And then also you want to avoid a late arrival. You know, as Casey kind of mentioned, he had some challenges with, with his flight sequencing, and you never know what you may come across as you make that trip down there. So the sooner you can arrive that day, the better off you're going to be because that gives you lots of options to take follow-up flights if any of your connecting flights or your primary flight to, to um, Tortola gets, uh, gets delayed. I think great uh, advice in terms of the transportation options down there. You know, as we prepare for the trip, you can't book any flights yet, but, uh, you know, as we move on through the remainder of this year, that option will become available as the schedules move out that far. So you want to be thinking about those things as that time approaches. So let's just go around the uh, the group here. If we have any other items that you all want to add in terms of transportation options to get down there, let's start. Uh, let's start with Michelle first. Michelle. Uh, no, I'm all set. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle, for uh, adding your feedback to uh, the trip options. So let's go over to Paul. Paul, anything you want to add to the um, the advice for travelers? I think everyone kind of mentioned it earlier that if you can cut out as many questionable problems that will come if you're doing connections, then do that. I'd, if it was me going, I would probably fly direct to San Juan and then fly directly to the BVI on a small plane, but I'm used to flying on small planes now, so... If you want to do that, you've never done it, just take some Dramamine with you. You'll be fine. Also, keep in mind on the way back, you, if you're not used to being on a boat, being on land is going to feel really weird. And you might get a little land sick, as they say. So that could bother you in the plane. I don't know. Some people are more sensitive than others. So keep that in mind. Probably too hammered the night before you fly. All right. Thanks, Paul. All right, Case, let's go over to you if you have any um, final parting advice. Yeah, other than just direct flights to St. Juan or St. Thomas, I would say probably along the lines of Paul. There Actually, no, there is really no way of getting around it. You've been on the sea for a week, so you're going to have land legs for a little bit. You know, you're going to get home. And you're going to be sitting in your bed, and your bed's going to feel like it's a hammock. But it's all part of the fun. But yeah, just don't break your leg before you go. Like, literally, just don't break a, an appendage or any sort of bone, preferably, like I did. So that's all I have to say. Uh, great advice, Case. All right, let's go to Jack. Jack, anything uh, you'd like to add in finale? Yeah, I think one thing that also to think about and it might drive you know a decision either way if you're kind of um if you, if you can't decide which, which route you want to take is that there's a lot 
you're limited in when you can leave when you're flying direct um, to St. Thomas. There's only a couple flights while they're direct and they're great. Um, you know, if you're somebody who wants to get on your trip and, and get going early in the morning, it, you know, you might not have that ability to take that flight. Whereas if you go the more roundabout way, I think you've got a little bit more options when you leave and when you come back. So just, you know, adding that, um, I would say if I were to do it all again, I would fly in again. Um, but again, I'm used to kind of the small plane and, you know, I think, for me, it just logistically worked better um, than having to wait for the ferry and you know unload, etc. So, um, but that's really it for me. I mean, it's it's a fantastic trip. So I think you can't go wrong, honestly, um, when you sign up to do this thing, no matter how you get down. Thanks, Jack. So that's a good opportunity since we have you all on the call who have been on the trip before. Jack shared a little bit of his, you know, appreciation for the trip that he went on and you know the how much he kind of enjoyed it. I wonder if we go back around and hear from the folks that went on the trip before and if you would share a little bit of you know, your general idea of how either you enjoyed the trip or, I don't know, pitfalls on the trip or anything you'd like to share with those that are going either for a return trip or probably more specifically for those who haven't been on a trip before and don't know what to experience or expect. Paula, let's go over to you if you want to share something. It's a... Uh quite possibly the epitome of laid back down there. Um, you'll notice a stark difference between the British Virgin Islands and the US Virgin Islands. Uh, they're a lot less populated. Uh, you can tell at night by just the lights on the islands usually. I mean, uh, people are pretty friendly. You know, we back then we were like 27, 26, so we were in a different time. You know, we just wanted to hang out and drink and do things that we used to do back then. Whereas nowadays, it would just be much more of a relaxing trip. I would say just, in, just you know, enjoy it. Go snorkeling. Snorkel in Anagata. Enjoy the baths. Um, enjoy the sea turtles. Get a floaty. If you bring your keys... Get a go to a sailing store and get a floaty for your keys because one way or another someone's going to be tossing your keys around on that boat to shotgun a beer and your keys might go flying off the boat into the ocean and you don't want that. So that was something that almost happened to us. Dan, Dan almost threw my keys in the ocean. Um, <laughs> legit almost happened. And he actually, I think, sliced his thumb trying to shotgun that beer. We were down there on the 4th of July... It was really quiet. Um, I imagine you guys will have more people. You'll just meet a bunch of people. Uh, a lot of times, like we did, we met some folks from California and ended up kind of having the same itinerary as them. It just happened that way. And we ended up partying with them for like a few days. Yeah, uh, the seafood's amazing. So I would recommend if you enjoy good seafood, enjoy it. Enjoy the conch, enjoy the lobster. In the morning, you know, you want to wake up, swim in the swim in the ocean around the boat. Just be careful; someone could be using the facilities. <laughs> Especially if you're in the mooring ball area, other people could be too. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much it. Uh, bring there's different kinds of Dramamine. If you've never been on a boat, catamaran's going to be a little easier on you than a, a monohull. But there was a specific type. I forget the name of it, Dan, but you might know. It was like a patch that you put behind your ears. For the first few days, I used that, and it was phenomenal. I didn't need I didn't need it after that. You get used to it, but 
Uh, I'd recommend that. Have a couple different types, see what works for you. Try not to break your leg before you uh, you go. That, that, that sucks. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks, Paul. So I think the thing you were talking about perhaps might be C-band. I know my wife uses it. In response to the uh, careful where you swim, so many of I'm using the facilities, I wanted to address that. They're in the boat when you're you know, using the facilities, if you're docked or moored, they go into a holding tank. And then when you get under sail and you get out into the channel, you have the poop master or what, Jack, I forget what we called you, who would go down and, and open the tank and then, you know, it would empty. But it would empty in the channel, not in the areas where you're typically swimming. So, you know, if anybody tried to read between the lines there, no, you're not swimming amongst excrement. That, uh, you know, usually gets dumped in the, the middle of the channel where you don't have anybody doing any swimming. So just wanted to clear that up. All right, let's go over to uh, Casey. Any uh, thoughts that you'd like to share with the group about your experience on the past trip? I mean, I just loved watching everybody have so much fun on the last one. Um, granted, everybody kind of knows at this point that I've, I, last trip I had a broken ankle, so I couldn't really participate in the fun festivities of like swimming so i just i was landlocked i was boat locked but just like the absolute beauty of the vvis is something like you really can't even imagine until you're there Um, so i'm really excited to get back there and just jump off the front of the boat when we're moored not when we're you know under sail just really excited to get back and have a good time and, and actually get in the water as opposed to just shuttling people from um, boat to shore. And also really excited for Dan to stop calling it a foot condom because it was it's a medical device that covers your ankle to keep water from getting in there and infecting your wound. So, Dan, I'd really appreciate it if you stopped calling it the foot condom. Let's just be honest with what it really was. That's that's what it was. It's not a con- like it's not a sexual like <laughs> reproductive device. So, anyways, um, I would say, <clears throat> lastly, I think it's it's a really great opportunity for for those who had never been on a sailing trip or been on a boat uh, for a long period of time. But you really get really close with everybody that you're on the boat with. It's what Dan loves. So that's why we do it. <laughs> <laughs> I do love it, but uh, I think that folks that have been and will get to go will will certainly enjoy it too. It's an experience like I think no other. All right, thanks, Case. Let's go to Michelle. Michelle, any comments or experiences you'd like to share with the group about you know, your trip years ago? Sure. Thank Paul and Casey. Great feedback. Agree with both of them. Certainly consider the trip one of the most relaxing vacations I've been on, which is really quite nice, I think, especially for the parents who are coming on the trip. Just really a nice a nice getaway where you don't have to really worry about a lot. All the plans are pretty much made for you, so that's certainly very appealing to me. Uh, Dan does a great job with the planning, so it's just it's incredible to just go somewhere and just have to relax and chill, and your biggest decision is what drink you're going to have. So. Uh, and, and, and like Casey mentioned, you know, the BVI is, is incredible. I remember on the last day uh, that we were there, I woke up pretty early and I just got a, you know, went outside and I was the only one awake and 
just was able to watch the sunrise and it was just really awesome just picturesque and exactly what you think it's going to be yeah and i love the seafood great food uh you know one thing i think just thinking about was um alcohol wise we ordered way way too much beer um, i'm not sure how we did that or why <laughs> um but we'll certainly uh try to be more um you know, calculated this time around. I think, I, 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 Dan, you can remember maybe, but the last day, I feel like we were shotgunning beers like all day because we had something like 60 beers left or something. But uh, yeah, great trip. Really looking forward to it. Uh, and I know George is too. Great. Thanks, Michelle. I know there was one day that was a little rough for you that you didn't mention. We had a little bit of a squall one day on our, our trip from um, the west side to the east side of BVI and, you know, it was uh, mostly under power, not under sale. It was a little challenging. Hopefully we don't have, uh, you know, that uh, situation again, but we tried to make the best of it. And it sounds like uh, it didn't didn't uh, affect you too much, Michelle, in terms of your memory of the trip. No, well, thank you for reminding me. I had actually sort of semi-forgot, um, <laughs> <clears throat> but um, do agree about the C-bands. That, that did make me think of that. I know Sarah and I both wore those the first couple of days. You can get those on Amazon or even like at CVS or Walgreens. They're these, um, almost there, think of them like uh, old school, like in the 80s, how they wore wristbands, but they have like a pressure point um, that goes on your wrist. Um, so for me, those are really helpful. I don't know if it was even mostly psychological, but um, you know, I, I was very nervous about being seasick uh, and I was able to be pretty good the whole time. Like. You know, Dan, you did mention there was one day that was pretty tough, um, but I think as long as you get up and get outside, uh, Jack probably could speak a little bit about that. I know he has some seasickness too, but um, once I got up and outside, it was like a million times better. So, uh, and drink lots of water. I think that's one thing that I didn't do enough of, uh, probably would help that too. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Well, Jack, we started with you kind of uh, ad hoc. I didn't know if there's anything you wanted to add or you felt like you'd kind of covered what you wanted to share with the group. You know, I think the only thing I would add, and just Michelle kind of hit it on this, is, you know, from like a seasickness standpoint, I think I didn't start taking stuff prophylactically, which I think was a mistake. I think you just come from, like, I, it was too late by the time I started taking Dramamine on like my first day, right? And it would, it already kicked in and it kind of knocked me off my feet that day. You got better by the second day. Um, but I think just being proactive about that sort of thing, if you think that you get sick seasickness or you get motion sickness, that's the best thing. I will say, you know, I've, I've been on boats plenty of times and it's, it's a totally different experience when you're on the boat 24 seven, um, you know, and you're attempting to sail and work the boat. So, um, you know, just keep that in mind, but I think it's a fantastic trip. Um, and you know, you will see some of the best sites in the world and you'll have a lot of fun experiences. You'll meet a lot of cool people. Um, and you'll do lots of partying, which is, you know, a lot of fun as well. Thanks, Jack. And if we're lucky, maybe we'll see Jack fixed to a hotel on land down there while we're down there, huh? Yeah, I think that that's the hope. That's the hope. All right. Well, I think that kind of concludes things. So I want to say thank you to our guests from our previous trips, Michelle, Paul, Jack, and Casey. Hopefully you're or their experience helps others decide how they want to arrive in the BVI. I do want to remind you that you do have an email from me about all of the specifics about the timing and where you want to, the options are, where you want to arrive, when, that type of thing. So you definitely want to refer back to that as you prepare to make your flight arrangements later this year. 
I will say that I definitely want to echo the comment that was made earlier about the planning for this. We have, or I have and others have, a lot of additional material along the way over the next year to help prepare folks for the trip. Not that you need to prepare for it, but I love this trip. I absolutely love it. Every time I'm down there, of which I've only been three times, but at the end of the trip, I always think to myself, I got to find a way back down here. The views are amazing. They change every day. The sun sets, you know, over the water, over the mountains. Um, it's just the the sunsets in terms of the color are incredible. In addition to the landscape around you, the mountains rise literally out of nowhere, right out of the sea. The snorkeling, I think, as Casey mentioned earlier, or somebody mentioned earlier, is great. Um, and there's just so many things to do. And we're going to put together an incredible agenda. We have a little group working together on that. So, you know, if you weren't already excited, we're going to do our very best to make you excited over the coming year. So we look forward to more of that and maybe uh, we'll see maybe some more podcasts. So that concludes the first April 2021 podcast of our podcast series, assuming we have more of these. I think we'll do another one soon. Until then, keep wishing for the constant trade winds, no squalls, and dreaming of uh, some beautiful white sand bliss. On behalf of our group, Captain Dan Allen.